This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell, and uh, we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send an email, exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV. And if you'd like to find out the programming we have on the Exxon Broadcast Network for you 24-7, 365, visit www.xzbn.net. Don't forget, this coming weekend in Felsmere, Florida, the 4th Annual Treasure Coast Para-Unity Conference. Um, our, our show host of the Paranormal Stakeout, Larry Lawson, is one of the organizers, and it's going to be a great event. I was there last year. I am going to be there this year. And if you'd like more information on that, and if you want to buy tickets, come down and see us. The website is www parautyconference.com. My guest this hour is Dr. John Opsopaeus. Uh, he has practiced magic, divination, and neopaganism since the 1960s. He has some 40 publications in various magical and neopagan magazines and anthologies. He designed the Pagatherin Tarot and wrote the Comprehensive Guide to Path. How do you say that? Pythagorean. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Tarot, which was published by our good friends at Llewellyn 2001. He has recently released Oracles of Apollo, published by Llewellyn in 2017, teaches, divin uh, teaches divination based on ancient Greek text that he has translated. Um, Opsopaeus uh, frequently presents workshops on Hellenic magic and neo-paganism divination, and related topics. In the early 1990s, he founded the Omphalos. Omphalos, Omphalos yeah. there you go. A networking <laughs> organization for neo-pagans in the Greek and Roman traditions and one of the first internet resources for them. He is the past coordinator of the Scholars Guild uh, for the Church of All Worlds, past archon of the Hellenic kin of ADF, a Druid fellowship, and a member of the Grey Council. His writings can be found at Opsopaeus.com and Omphalos. 
Opsopeus.org forward slash BA. And uh, the spelling of Opsopeus is O-P-S-O-P-A-U-S dot com. Dr. John, welcome to the X-Zone. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be able to talk to you. Well, we're very happy, too. Why, why, are all, why all the hard names? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, some uh, ancient Greek names are kind of uh, complicated. They have lots of syllables and sometimes odd combinations of letters. But um, it's, uh, you know, many people who follow the um, ancient pagan mm-hmm. traditions Although it's not necessary to use the ancient languages, um, we kind of like it. You know, we feel like we're more in contact with our ancestors, and so we we tend to uh, use Greek and Latin words sometimes um, to help strengthen that connection. What was it that brought you on your on your crusade or your journey into paganism? Well, it's hard to say. You know, one of the uh, sort of commonplaces in uh, the modern pagan movement is most people feel like they're coming home. So there's really a sense that um, when when people discover that there's pagans in the world today and that it's a uh, active and vibrant religion, they kind of feel like, well, I've never felt home in any of the other religions or perhaps with no religion, and now I find uh, that this is just a feels right. It, it's a comfortable fit. In my own case, I was always very interested in uh, ancient Greek um, ancient classical civilizations, so Egyptian, Greek, and Roman uh, in the Western tradition. And um, uh, I always liked the art and the literature and the philosophy. And um, so it was just very natural to kind of uh, adopt also the uh, religion of those, uh, of those ancient people. All right, Doctor uh, Doctor John here. You and I have to take our... Or just John. <laughs> All right, John. You and I have to take our break, uh, first break for this segment of the show. Please stand by, Exonation. We're talking about paganism, magic, divination, and much more here on this edition of the Exxon. Our guest is the one and only Dr. John Opsopeus, and his uh, website is opsopeus.com, and we'll both be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Two things, don't forget the fourth annual Treasure Coast Parunity Conference, www.parunityconference.com, this coming weekend, and the all-new XZBN Channel 365, News Talk, Music, and Information. That's at www.xzbnchannel365.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, 
X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. All right, Exonation. Just when you think you've got it licked, uh, they drag you right back in. I'm going to be hosting the all-new Good Morning from Hamilton show Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. until 9.30 a.m. on the all-new broadcast channel, XZBN Channel 365, which is our news talk, music, and information channel. Once again, www.xzbnchannel365.com. That launch is on November the 15th. All right. My guest is Dr. John Apollonis Opsopaeus. That's his name. And um, let me ask you, John, um, why do you think, uh, is it my imagination or more and more people turning to paganism? And a lot more people are talking about it this day, uh, these days than I can remember. Yes, I think that's true. I mean, there's many reasons um, for this. Uh, pagan religions tend to be very nature-focused, and so I think um, the growing awareness or growing environmental awareness has um, uh, inclined a lot of people towards the pagan religions. I mean, sometimes some of the other major religions are kind of anti-nature and anti-earth because they're focused on a uh, you know, heaven or immaterial reality, whereas the pagan religions mm-hmm. are much more earth-based. And so they, in almost all of the pagan religions, all of them I expect, uh, the earth is considered a goddess. And so veneration of the earth is a very important part of it. Um, another thing is that um, pagan religions have goddesses, mm-hmm. and they generally had priestesses. And so um, many... Um, Uh, People that are interested in equality between the genders have been drawn to the pagan religions as well. They feel like having uh, female divinities as well as male divinities and also having a long tradition of female priesthood is is, uh, very empowering for uh, women. And often also for the gay community, too, which Mm -hmm. uh, in many of the pagan religions, uh, gay people were were, and some of the gods were considered uh, essentially gay. Yeah. So I think many of the social movements in uh, the 20th century and now into the 21st century uh, are in many ways more compatible with the pagan religions than with um, the uh, more uh, common religions that we're familiar with. Well, it would seem to me uh, that there is a great influence from the pagan religions into Christianity and other religious philosophies that are accepted around the world. For example, we all know for a fact that a number of the traditions at Christmas time are pagan. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, and um, you know, it's it's a very common thing when a when a, a new religion. Um, 
uh, moves into an area or or even a new political system mm -hmm. that they often co-opt existing traditions and holidays and things like that part of it because that's what people do and people are you know they're they have habits of celebrating at certain times of the year and in certain ways and um, rather than trying to suppress that and replace it with an entirely new tradition it's often uh, expedient to essentially uh, reinterpret and perhaps change in some ways the old traditions to make them compatible with a new religion so uh, certainly um, as you said many of our seasonal celebrations have their roots in uh, uh, pagan history also um, much of the philosophy uh, especially in, in what I'm interested in which is ancient Greek and Roman philosophy mm -hmm. was incorporated into Christianity um, it also interestingly enough uh, especially some of the uh, Greek traditions were incorporated into Islam as well and so you find them in the more mystical branches of Islam such as Sufism so um, you find these traditions and in Judaism too for that matter uh, which of course is old as these pagan religions but nevertheless uh, absorbed some of these Pythagorean ideas and Neoplatonic ideas from the Greek world and so especially in their more mystical branches of all of the uh, great Western religions you find um, a lot of pagan philosophy pagan practices and of course uh, pagan holidays and, and things like that as well so I, I think this is important because although I um, practice a uh, Hellenic neo-paganism uh, many of the practices that I try and teach in my books are uh, reasonably compatible with uh, at least for open-minded people in, in um, Christianity Judaism and Islam as well and I, I think it helps us to see sort of the common core of spiritual practices and even magical practices that are at the heart of all of these uh, religions. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the books you wrote, The Oracles of Apollo. Why did you write that book? Well, when I was getting involved uh, in, in neo-paganism uh, in the early days, mm -hmm. I was interested in methods of divination. And, and we can talk a little more about divination in general, but it, it's really a way of contacting the gods, of being in communion with the gods. And um, in the uh, neo-pagan community, there are people that used, for example, tarot, and I use tarot. As you mentioned, I, I designed my own Pythagorean tarot some years ago. Um, people in the more Germanic uh, neo-pagan traditions would use uh, runes and do rune casting, mm -hmm. and I've done that. Um, we know there are Eastern traditions such as the I Ching, um, and but since I was practicing a Greek form of neo-paganism, I thought, well, you know, I would really like to use a Greek form of divination as well, and so I started researching it, and I found that um, we have several well-documented ancient Greek forms of divination, and. Um, but some of them uh, had not, in fact, at that time, I don't believe any of them had been translated into English. They were still in the original Greek, ancient Greek. And so um, for my own purpose, originally, I s translated these into English and started using them. And in the early 1990s, I put some of these translations up on the Internet. And um, so other people could use them as well. And over the years, people have, have been using them and, and uh, have uh, found them to be very valuable. So um, 
over the years, archaeologists and classical scholars have improved the texts of these oracles and uh, have discovered new inscriptions and so forth. And so I thought it was time to finally put them together into a comprehensive book, which provides the oracles as a practical means of divination and uh, helps gives uh, aids to help you interpret the oracles and um, um, you know puts them all in the context of ancient the ancient practice of divination. Uh, so it's really it's it's primarily targeted at, at people that are interested in the Greek and Roman traditions, but certainly they can be used by anybody. You know they're they're just a, a system of uh, of divination and with uh, minor accommodation you could use them no matter what your religion is, or even if, you, if you're an, an agnostic. John, what is the importance of divination as a, as a spiritual practice? Well, um, the main importance really comes from the name. If you think of divination, it has divinity as mm-hmm. part of the name. And in the ancient world, divination was seen as a way of coming into direct contact and communion with the gods. So in the sort of simplest and most concrete way that would be asking a god a question and and finding out an answer getting an answer from that god you know what should i do in this situation as um as you may know uh in the ancient world there were oracles all around Mm -hmm. uh the most famous one was the oracle of apollo at delphi yes and uh people would um travel you know long distances and over quite rough terrain to get to the Oracle at Delphi to ask a question. Uh, and the, uh, the priestess there, the uh, Pythia, she's called, would, um, would go into a trance and answer that question. Um, and people would go to other oracles around the, the Mediterranean as well for the same purpose. So it's, it's a way of, of, in the simplest sense, getting an answer to a question from a god. But it was also viewed more generally as a way of attuning our own psyches with the uh, the sort of the divine mind. So by putting us in contact with the gods, it was a way of aligning the individual psyche or soul with some divinity or, or, or group of divinities and essentially opening up a two-way communication channel with them. So in that sense, it was a mm-hmm. way of becoming a more spiritual person. Would 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 prayer fall under a the definition of divination? Um, it's, it's, it's closely related to it, and typically any sort of ancient divination would include mm-hmm. prayer. Okay. So uh, there would be some sort of uh, petition to the God to, uh, if you like, open the channel of communication. And, you know, uh, at least as the Neoplatonists understood prayer, um, what the purpose of prayer was, was to essentially tune your psyche to be on the same wavelength as a particular god. Uh, and so the radio analogy is actually pretty accurate. It's the, the gods are everywhere all the time, but just like radio waves, but mm-hmm. we can tune the radio to a particular frequency, and then we can um, we can hear that signal. And, and so, prayer is the process essentially of doing that tuning. But if if someone practices divination in order to get a response from a god or a deity, how likely are they to get one? 
Well, so these systems, there's there's different systems, mm -hmm. and uh, some of them are more reliable than others in various ways. So the the Pythia went into a trance, and um, she they would actually the uh, priests and priestesses around her would do a preliminary divination to find out if it was a good idea for her to go into that trance, which was quite a, um, a taxing experience. And um, so uh, in that sense, um, you didn't always get an answer. Um, and uh, the systems that I describe in the oracles of Apollo, they're more mechanical systems. It was called technical divination because it involved some um, practices, rolling dice or casting uh, knuckle bones or something like that. Mm. And in that case, um, you can always do it uh, and you'll get an answer. But but typically uh, there's there's signs, for example, that the that the God might not want to give you an answer. So for to give a very simple example, if you're rolling dice uh, on a table, for example, or in a tray mm -hmm. and they roll off the table, that would be interpreted as a sign that it's it's not auspicious to do a divination at that time, that the, that the God, for whatever reason, doesn't want to uh, to give you an answer. And, um, you know, the um, uh, the answers are typically quite ambiguous. That was one of the common observations about oracles in, in the ancient world is they're almost always ambiguous. And they explained that in many different ways. Uh, they said, um, you know, the gods want us to exercise our wits or they want to hide the meaning from the ignorant or the uninitiated uh, were two of the explanations that might be given. So um, typically what this means is that when you do a divination, you get an answer, but it's not necessarily clearly applicable to your question. And so one of the most important processes in divination, and this is where prayer comes in again, because you would pray to the God to help you to understand the oracle correctly. You know, there are lots of myths where somebody went to Delphi and got an oracle, and they misinterpreted it, and that led to disaster. Well, let's talk more about this when we come back for our news break. ExoNation, our guest this hour is Dr. John Opsopaeus, and his website is opsopaeus.com. That's O-P-S-O-P-A-U-S. Dot com, and we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the X-Zone Broadcast Network and iHeartRadio. This is the X-Zone Broadcast Network broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. All right, ExoNation, our guest this hour is Dr. John Opsopaeus. His website is opsopaeus.com. And uh, before we went to the break, we were talking about divination and, and you know, contacting the gods, asking a question. And one of the things you said that 
that didn't make sense to me was when you were saying that, you know, somebody, for example, would use dice, it would go off the tray, and to them that would mean that the god didn't want to give an answer at the time. Well, how do we know it wasn't the person just throwing the dice too hard? <laughs> well, you don't. Um, and so, in fact, the, the normal practice would be mm -hmm. you would try again. Okay. And if, if the next time it seemed to work okay, then you would say, okay, it was just uh, a, a meaningless uh, mistake. Uh, if it happened a second time, um, then you would become a little suspicious. And the general rule in the ancient world was if you th tried three times uh, and it didn't work, then you gave up at least for 24 hours. So that was considered a clear signal that, that uh, uh, you weren't going to mm -hmm. get an answer. And, you know, they also said actually quite explicitly if when the omens, if you like, were against doing a divination, if you went ahead and did one anyway, you would be almost guaranteed to get a bad answer. So um, they, were, they, were, they tried to be quite sensitive to this, you know, and I think this, this shows that um, although it's a mechanical procedure, mm -hmm. you have to be very open to the nuances of it. So anything that might indicate it was not auspicious, that it was not the right thing to do, would be, would be considered. It wouldn't necessarily end the story, but it would at least be considered. And conversely, you know, there could be very good omens, too, that would suggest that, that, that the, the god was there and was, uh, you know, uh, willing and eager to give you uh, an answer to this question. How many different gods are there, and how do you know if your <laughs> message is getting to the right god? Well, so uh, there's, uh, there's innumerable gods, really. I mean, in, in almost any uh, uh, polytheistic mm -hmm. pantheon, because aside from the what are sometimes called the uh, great gods, um, you know, and that would be the 12 Olympians in the case of, of the ancient Greeks yeah. and Romans, uh, there's just, you know, hundreds of others, because every deity, every forest, every grove, every lake, every stream uh, had, its, had its deities, every island. And... Um, um, so all of these uh, are potential uh, ones to communicate with. So how do you know who you're talking to? Yeah. Well, um, so this is part of the um, Neoplatonic theory of, of divination is that the gods have uh, lineages that descend from them. And the great gods have larger lineages and the lesser gods have lesser ones. And these lineages include other gods, of course. But they also include things. So to take a classic example, the god Apollo um, is, in his lineage, is Helios, which is the sun god. And also the sun as a planet is in, also in that lineage. But then also various sorts of sun-like things. So sunflowers, for example. Uh, a cock, because it crows at the sunrise, would also be in the lineage of Apollo. And um, various, um, you know, golden or yellow or golden gemstones uh, like citrine would be in the lineage of Apollo. So the idea these are all symbols, and this is what part of what attunes you to a particular god. And it's not just things, but it's also the names of the gods. So uh, the gods have um, their name, like Apollon mm -hmm. for Apollo, uh, but then also various epithets. And so in a prayer a person would call the god by name and use these various other names, these epithets, and it all kind of builds up, it accumulates essentially a symbolic charge 
to connect with a particular uh, deity. And so uh, you, this is why if you look at statues of Apollo, for example, he's holding various attributes, a lyre, for example, uh, uh, a, a musical instrument. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, so being aware of those various symbols and visualizing them in your mind or having them actually there, either full-sized or perhaps in some sort of representation, uh, are all ways of attuning your psyche to that particular god's energy. So again, each god is conceived of as having an energy that's a sort of different frequency. And what you have to do is, through these symbolic connections, um, establish or tune your psyche to that particular energy. Um, and it's not, you know, it's certainly not, you know, a guaranteed sort of thing, but usually uh, that will at least get you within the lineage of that god. And so in that sense, you're still um, talking to the right department, so to speak, uh, in, in the, uh, in the uh, polytheistic bureaucracy. Now, you were mentioning that there were some woods that even had their own gods. Who would create the god, and what would the criteria to be classified as a god be? Well, so this is, uh, most of these gods are, um, of course, the, you know, the ancients could give you lineages for all of these gods. They could say who their parents were mm -hmm. and who those parents were and trace it all the way back to the, to the first gods. And, but now I have to say that there are usually different versions of the same lineage. So it's, it was by no means a, 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 um, absolutely certain thing. But the idea is that the, that the gods of a particular mountain or forest or river were probably uh, offspring of Mother Earth, Gaia, mm -hmm. uh, or Gay in, uh, in ancient Greek, um, and, or perhaps of one of her sons or daughters. And so in that sense, they weren't invented. They were born out of the Earth. Um, and people would um, discover them, essentially, by 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 feeling or sensing the um, the presence of divinity within a particular place. And I mean, um, many of, of your listeners will probably have had this experience of uh, when they're hiking or, or something like that, they'll go into a place and they'll just it'll feel magically charged to yeah. them. And, um, you know, so the um, the ancients would understand that to be well there's a divinity here of some sort mm -hmm. it may be a lesser one it may be a greater one and then they would start making offerings to it they'd maybe make a little altar they would pray to it and um, you know maybe that that deity would tell them who they are they would give them a name for example or they might just be addressed as the god of this place you know the god of this forest or of this river how does um, paganism and what we've been talking about, how does this benefit the people of the 21st century? Well, I think uh, it benefits them in several different ways. As I, as I mentioned before, uh, paganism is in many ways more compatible with um, uh, what I would think of as more modern attitudes towards uh, gender and uh, the earth and the environment than um, many of the uh, better known religions. And so uh, that's one reason that, that people have been uh, drawn to paganism. Is it's, a, it's an earth-centered religion. It's a sex-positive religion. Uh, it's a religion that honors 
men equally or even above, mm-hmm. or excuse me, that honors women equally or even above men and the feminine equally or above the masculine. So those are some of the things that I think makes it attractive to 21st century people. But the other, another one that, that um, we've only kind of alluded to here is a very experiential religion. Pagans expect to have religious experiences. They expect to talk to gods, to have epiphanies of gods. And um, whereas many of the more traditional organized religions, um, it's much more of a cerebral and disembodied kind of thing. You Mm -hmm. go to the church, you hear a sermon about some morally uplifting topic, and you go home. But there's no direct or mystical experience of the divine realm. And um, the most pagans, um, many pagans, I should say, practice some form of magic or divination. uh, And these are ways of coming in more direct contact with the gods themselves. And I think many people are missing that. Many modern people are missing that. That was a feature of older religions, and it's still a feature of the more mystical uh, uh, branches of, of uh, contemporary religions, but it's something that I think a lot of people have been missing. So if if people are not com- completely materialist and essentially uh, uh, ignore the divine realm entirely, then they may not be satisfied with the um, the dominant religions, and they may be looking for something that gives them a more direct experience of the divine. And it also is is uh, perhaps more compatible with uh, modern attitudes about the environment and about gender. So if we have someone listening tonight who'd like to explore paganism, how would they know which branch of paganism would suit them best? Well, um, that's a good question. And sometimes uh, it may take some exploration to do that. Uh, certainly if... Uh, by reading mythology mm-hmm. or even some fantasy uh, um, uh, literature, uh, they feel drawn to particular gods or goddesses, then I would say that's the place to start. Um, many people have studied uh, Greek and Roman mythology, and they have a, uh, an emotional attachment to some of those gods and goddesses. And so um, the Greek and Roman traditions are are very natural for them. Uh, many people nowadays are following uh, Celtic traditions. Yes. Um, and uh, that's certainly one of the more popular varieties of, of neo-paganism. Uh, Egyptian religion has always been a, uh, a, 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 a popular version of uh, neo-paganism and, um, and so forth. So I would say, you know, um, if you already feel drawn to a particular mythology or, or um, uh, culture, then that's probably a place to start looking. But, you know, you have to kind of uh, try it, you know, and if it just doesn't grab you, if it doesn't feel quite right, then, you know, you go to, you read some books, you go to some uh, public rituals that may be uh, from another tradition, and um, you may find that that uh, your your interests are, are, are different. So for example, I'm, I'm ethnically, I'm, uh, uh, Anglo-Saxon and Celtic, but my religion is, is Greek, you know, so, and as far as I know, I have no Greek ancestry. So, uh, it's not necessarily what your, what your ethnic background is. Um, 
so I would say that, you know, you, you explore, you know, read books, uh, find out what's going on in your local community, uh, attend some public rituals. And, and if it looks like there's a group that's doing some interesting things and get more involved with them. And, you know, there's also quite a few eclectic pagans and they may feel an attachment for a Greek god and a Celtic god and a Norse god. And and that's OK, too. You know, these are all mm-hmm. really just names and images through which we ask, access these different aspects of divinity. And um, I kind of like to work within one tradition. But some people are very happy sort of mixing and matching uh, as well. And so I think that that, um, you know, that's fine if that works for you. All right. Stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. And we'll be back after some short words from our sponsors. And don't forget, Exxon Nation, this coming 3rd, 4th, and 5th of November, I will be in Felsmere at the, let me see, 4th Annual Para-Unity uh, para Conference. That's going to be held in Felsmere. I was there last year. This year we're going to be there. And most probably next year because it's a great experience for one and all. If you're invest- an investigator, whether you're an author, whether you're just somebody curious Visit www.paranormal, I'm sorry, parayunityconference.com. Dr. John Opsopeus and I will be back after this break. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Exonation Dr. John Opeus, uh, Opsopeus, I should say, is our guest this hour. His website is opsopeus.com. That's O-P-S-O-P-A-U-S dot com. Uh, John, in your book, there seem to be two different types of um, systems that you describe in your book. Can you tell us what they are and how they differ? Yeah, so the first system is called the Alphabet Oracle. And this um, is a system that we know from a number of actually engraved stone tablets from the uh, Middle East. 
And what it does is it gives an oracle for each of the 24 letters of the ancient Greek alphabet. And so um, what somebody would do would be, uh, again, they'd, make a, they'd pray, they would make an offering, mm-hmm. they'd ask a question, and then they would pick one of the letters of the Greek alphabet. Um, and there's various ways you can do this. You can pick a pick a stone out of a bag or a jar that's engraved with uh, each stone engraved with a the letter of the alphabet. You can do it by rolling dice or knuckle bones and counting them up in the appropriate way. There's a number of different ways of consulting it. And what that does then is give you an answer to a question. And these tend to be um, very practical kinds of questions, basically telling you if what you're doing, um, is the right thing or not, or whether how something, how a project is going to turn out, for example. So these were uh, questions that people would ask as they were on a journey, for example, uh, maybe either business people or scholars or someone else, um, and they wanted to know, uh, you know, how their their enterprise was going to work out. The uh, second oracle is based on the uh, another uh, set of uh, oracles that were inscribed on tablets called the uh, sayings of the seven sages, or sometimes they're called the Delphic maxims. And there's 147 of these. And uh, they're sometimes called the Greek commandments because they're mostly uh, essentially moral. um, um, They're not thou shalt not, they're Mm -hmm. thou shalt more. Uh, They're essentially telling you how to live a good life. And so they're, uh, they give different kinds of answers. They answer questions like, you know, uh, what should I be thinking about today? Or how should I handle this problem uh, in a more general sense? And uh, you can also consult that oracle by um, rolling dice, uh, drawing stones, uh, casting knuckle bones, or uh, all sorts of different techniques using beads, coins, uh, any sorts of uh, techniques. And I, I describe a number of these in the book and give charts and so forth to help you do this. Uh, but basically the idea is both of these are, are kind of what's called claromancy, which is drawing or casting lots in order to uh, pick an oracle. So the idea is that you pray to the God for an answer to your question. And with some meditative sorts of practices, you're essentially opening that channel of communication and then when you throw the, the oracle, um, that's essentially giving the god a chance to to basically influence the outcome and, and give you an answer to that question. Of course, you can do follow-up uh, questions if it's mm-hmm. unclear. And uh, we talked before about some signs that maybe yeah. uh, the god doesn't want to give you an answer. They may want you to figure it out on your own. So how does how does the god know what the answer is going to be? Well, most of these, um, well, that's a good question, and it depends a lot on, on, on what you think about uh, time mm-hmm. <laughs> so and, and about uh, free will, for example. But right. the way these are generally interpreted is uh, that these are essentially predictions about what's going to happen if things continue as they are. And so if it's a negative outcome, uh, what you would need to think about is how can I change the way things are to make this outcome come out differently? And you could, of course, do another divination to get some advice on that. So they're really essentially saying if things continue mm-hmm. in the current direction, then this is what will likely happen. And so in that sense, I don't consider them in any way contradictory to the notion of free will. It's more like going to a very wise person 
who's seen it all before, been there, done that, and also has a much bigger perspective than you and saying, you know, what do you think is going to happen here? And they say, well, you know, if you keep doing this, this is what's likely going to happen. You might want to watch out about that. And sometimes they're directly conditional. They'll say, if so-and-so, then such-and-such. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you keep doing this, then this is what's going to happen. So I think of it more as advice. Is it possible that the person who is seeking the answers from the oracle actually has the answer within and they're just looking for some sort of focal point, the oracle being such in order that they can they can focus in on their own problem and come up with the result? Yeah, that's quite possible. And, and, and it, in, in some sense, it's not even necessarily contradictory with the, mm-hmm. with the idea that gods are communicating with you directly. Because, um, you know, this is more obvious in, in divination like scrying, which would be like looking into a crystal ball or looking into a dish of water, that, um, um, you know, the god may in, be influencing the image in that dish of water in mm-hmm. that crystal ball, but they're also, you could imagine them influencing the way you're going to interpret it as well. So whether it is helping to call this information out of your own unconscious or out of your deep mind, or whether it's being essentially provided externally by a god, it's it's very, it's ambiguous. And I think um, it's it's really a matter of which makes more sense to a, a person. I mean, the Greeks sometimes said, you know, when you look outside to the gods, you're really looking inside. And so you can interpret this all sure. as really sort of a strictly psychological uh, process. As long as it works. As long as it works. Yeah. That's 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 right. Uh, so what are you working on right now, John? Well, I've got uh, one of my projects is I'm translating a couple more of these oracles. There's a, a several other systems that have survived from the ancient world, and mm-hmm. they're and they're quite interesting, and I use them. And um, so I'm thinking about um, translating those. Perhaps I'll do a follow-on book on that. I'm more generally interested in in the process called theurgy, uh, which is uh, the literal translation is God work, as opposed to theology, which is God talk. So again, this is about means, ritual means typically, of attuning one's psyche to particular gods um, uh, in order to uh, to essentially uh, make yourself uh, more godlike and to put you into better um, harmony with, with the uh, divine world. So divination was just one theurgical practice, and one of the things I've been studying for many years and have written some about and um, are, is continuing to practice is are these theurgical practices. So essentially, this is a form of uh, spiritual magic, you could call it. And so, I've, I've some of my work on that is out on the on the internet on on my websites. How do how do tarot cards work? You know, like you you do you do tarot cards. Tarot cards mm-hmm. are so popular. There are so many different type of tarot card decks. How how does one person know? which deck to use, and how do they interpret the difference between the different decks? Well, this, again, is a very personal kind of thing. Most tarot decks have, have the same structure. In other words, the particular cards they provide, mm-hmm. just like different playing cards, have the same four suites, uh, suits rather, right. and you know the same number of uh, uh, court cards and so forth. So most tarot decks have the same structure, 
What differs is the particular images, and even those images will have many common elements uh, between them. So uh, here again, it's a matter largely of personal appeal and what speaks to you. I collect tarot decks, and I, I, have, I have, I don't know, probably a hundred, which is a small collection compared to many people. But, but some of them I like just because of the art. Others, though, really speak to me. And um, so what I would recommend to somebody is get uh, one of the common decks. Uh, the Rider weight deck has been around for a long time. There's dozens of books on it. Or they could find one that, that if they're a, a pagan, for example, they mm -hmm. might want to find a deck that has been designed for their particular um, uh, pantheon. Um, or it could be a Wiccan deck if, if, if that's their religion. And, um, you know, and, and see how well it works. And, then, you know, they may waste some dollars on some decks that maybe look good, but they just don't really speak to them. And, you know, a, an experienced tarot reader can read with virtually any deck because they do have all the same structure. But they might not have the emotional involvement and the imagery might not be evocative uh, for different decks. And that's very much of a personal matter. So you've just got to, uh, you know, shop around, look for ones that look interesting, try them out, and um, and go from there. But for learning it from scratch, I would say start with something like the Rider Weight Deck, which is um, the most popular, dates from the um, early 20th century, and um, there's lots of books on it, and it's sort of like the the, the common starting point of many of these other decks. John, we're coming up to the final minute of the show. Can you let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and how they can find your books? The best thing they can do is, uh, well, they can the books you can find at uh, Amazon or any other major bookseller. They're published by Llewellyn, so uh, you can go to Llewellyn's website as well. Um, they can go to my uh, easiest-to-access website is opsopaus.com, as you mentioned, opsopaus.com there i have um, links to some additional information i have links to my other website the biblioteca arcana where most of my writings are and um, so i would suggest go to my website they can contact me through that i am i'm putting up some other information besides uh, links to the book and um, that's probably the best place John, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Great hour, and I would love to have you back on the show again because, like I was telling you off air, for every question I asked you, an answer would come, and with that answer would come more questions. <laughs> well, great. I'd love to do that. That sounds like fun. All right. Thank you very much, and I'd like to thank our good friends at Llewellyn to, you know, in helping us to make this interview possible. I'll be back on the other side of this break at six and a half minutes past the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the XZBN and iHeartRadio.